Well, it's Fangraphs Audio. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is an edition of Fangraphs Audio featuring prospect writer Kylie McDaniel, who's worked for a number of actual Major League Baseball organizations, has written for Fangraphs before, has also written for ESPN and Scout, is now leading the prospect coverage at Fangraphs. Per Kylie's request, we will have a different musical introduction every week. I've allowed that on the condition that I'm allowed to say this, namely that I believe that the musical introduction uh, Kylie McDaniel has chosen for this week is silly. I believe it is silly, and I believe Kylie McDaniel is silly. That said, let's continue. Fellow Americans, it is with the utmost pride and sincerity that I present this recording as a living testament and recollection of history in the making during our generation. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Kylie. I used to move snowflakes by the OZ. I guess even back then you can call me Kylie. Fresh out the frying pan into the fire. I be the music man's number one supplier. Flyer than a piece of paper bearing my name. Got the hottest chick in the game wearing my chain. That's right. Kylie. Not DOC, but similar to them letters. No one could do it better. I check cheddar like a food inspector. My homie Strick told me, dude, finish your breakfast. So that's what I'ma do. Take you back to the zoo with the Lexus. What are you doing? Feel about this? You're in Florida. Uh, yes, I'm currently at home in Tampa. Okay. All and this is going to shock you, but uh, well, if you know about Florida, it will faux shock you. It's the middle of the day in the summer, and it just finished raining really loud. And I was worried you were going to call right in the middle of thunder and lightning. But in my experience, you don't actually you can't actually hear it on podcasts. What uh, is that actually? I mean, is that a thing that happens? Is that year round? I know that I like many people who live in uh, the north. I have grandparents uh, who live at least part, if not all, the year in Florida. And I was not, reminded of that at the airport yesterday when I got home and my flight was all old people. I was like, oh yeah, I live here. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, but um, but yeah, it, it frequently will rain uh, in the in the afternoon. There is that is that a thing that happens all year round? Uh, no, it's just the summer, but, uh, there, there was one summer, I want to say like six or seven years ago was when I, you know, first started going to, to baseball games a lot. So it actually might have been more like 10 years ago. Uh, but it rained literally every day between two and five o'clock for like 36 days straight. Like there's something amazing and it's always clear by like 5.30, but, and it never rains before noon. And the funny thing was, I think at the time I was working for the Yankees in the Tampa office where the GCL games are played like, 10 feet outside the offices, you just walk out back, Mm -hmm. and the games are at noon, and so if it never rains, it never starts raining until about 2, the games usually go like two and a half hours, because it's nine innings with no commercials. So it was like, for weeks, it was like a race to see if they could finish the game. Oh yeah, and these are, they're all nine inning affairs, I assume? Yeah, Yeah. and it's all the worst college kids that you just drafted that are all going to get cut at the end of the year, and then the Latin kids that don't speak English and don't know how to have a bank account and are generally just sort of out of control and not sure what they're doing, and it's sometimes, like, excruciating to watch. Are you trying to suggest that um, in some ways, uh, like, suburban suburban Florida might be different than the Dominican or Venezuela? Yeah, there's. I won't share them, but there are some heartbreaking slash hilarious stories about what these kids do when they get to America and they get a paycheck. Like what, like what? For instance, what do you think the first thing is they would do when they get their first paycheck? They don't have a bank account. They don't necessarily have someone telling them like right when they're handed, "This is what you do with it." What do you think they would do? And how? I mean, how old? I mean, not very old, yeah. Yeah, like eighteen, nineteen. Well, I mean, universally... And usually, usually they're, they're staying in, a, like, a hotel with some of their friends. Universally, 18 and 19-year-olds are dummies. So my <laughs> yes. guess is nothing nothing great. 
it was notorious, and this is not a Yankees thing. This was like all over the GCL. I would ask guys, and they would say it. Uh, they would get the paycheck, go to some cash, cash checking place, and then uh, either go try to buy alcohol, which they couldn't, right, or go to strip club. Oh yeah. Well, uh, I, having been an 18 year old, I could attest to the fact that uh, even more so than now, um, I wanted to see naked women. Um, but, but not very many of them wanted that as well. So, <laughs> so if I wanted to make it happen, yeah, I would have had to, I would have had to exchange American currency for it. And they, they would go to Denny's, the one, cause there's like a strip club and a Denny's right next to the, yeah. uh, complex. Well, pretty much anywhere in Florida, there's a strip club and a Denny's. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, nothing, nothing says classy. I like that combo. And no one, and this is also 10 years ago. I've been told a lot of teams have gotten a lot better about the cultural assimilation stuff. Right. Uh, but they wouldn't know how to order and they would just like have a couple thousand dollars in cash. And so they would just like pull out the menus or pointing at stuff. And if there weren't pictures, they would be like point at it and say, you know, try to say in Spanish to the waitress who only speaks English, tell me what this is. Right. And you would hear, like, oh, the players are complaining. They're not allowed to go into Denny's anymore because, like, they didn't know they were supposed to tip. Like, they don't know how to order. Like, they're hooping and hollering. Like, it's just typical teenage. Like, it's what you and I would do if we were in the Dominican and didn't speak Spanish. And uh, we're yeah, I would, to yeah, stuff. I would, be, uh, I would be frightened in that particular case. And almost every three, four days, there was some sort of incident at the hotel because, again... These kids show up at, you know, 8 in the morning, game's over by 3, they're back at the hotel by 4, they get nothing to do all night, they're going to get into trouble. So what? Uh, so you said already a couple things that would be um, worth following up on. I, I think to some degree this conversation we're having is going to concern uh, – it's going to be essentially an introduction, an introduction to what what you're going to be doing, to what you – the sort of the prospect group will be doing in a larger sense at uh, Fangraphs. I'm curious as to what I'll be doing, so you can actually uh, you can help me to better understand my my job title or my my obligations to the, the group is called the McDaniel Group, as though it's a shoot off of the McLaughlin Group. Yeah, right. It will be yes, and you will you will tell us we are wrong. <laughs> and so I look forward to that. But um, I'll be old too. I'm going to age overnight. Yeah. It, uh, so I'm interested in all that. Let me let me. The thing I, I think it makes sense to start though is you you mentioned you said this f- phrase. You said when I first started going to baseball games a lot. And I guess just by way of learning more about your – not necessarily your credentials, but maybe the thing that got you to where you are right now, um, how, I guess how did that start? It sounded like when you were saying that you were already with the Yankees, so maybe rewind a little bit before that, how you sort of uh, uh, became aware of and, and became excited about the, the world of prospects within, you know, within the, the larger world of baseball. Uh, it starts on a cold winter day in Wisconsin in 1943, and then this is really where everything gets kicked off. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's good. It is, um, is it hosted? Is it narrated by Tommy Lee Jones as well? <laughs> yeah, and Jim story. Leland smokes in the corner of the screen for <laughs> most of the movie. Um, so I, I'm 29 now. Yeah. To, to give context for people, I'm incredibly good looking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. You've now got a mental image. Yeah, Brad Pitt's talking to you. Um, no, I was in uh, high school uh, in Tampa, and uh, I was at a smaller private school. We didn't have a football team, and I was like a big football fan. My dad, my whole family's from Alabama. They're big Alabama fans, sure, sure. still are. 
So I wanted to play football, but I went to a small private school and we didn't have that. Uh, and so baseball was the other sport that I liked. And so I started playing that and I was much better at baseball than all the other sort of basketball, soccer, like the sports that had, you had to have more size speed athleticism and whereas baseball is more sort of a coordination could be enough to get by sort of thing. Right. Uh, so I did that. <clears throat> and then at the end of our senior year of high school, they said you have to get an internship. And so all the guys were like, oh, we're going to go talk to the Rays and the Bucks and the Lightning, try to get stuff with teams. And I ended up uh, getting one with the Bucks with one of my buddies. And we worked in PR for like a couple months uh, toward the end of high school. And because it was, you know, small class, so they could sort of secure all these internships because we're, you know, private school, snot-nosed kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and toward the end of that, my buddies that did the baseball one with the Rays were telling me what they did. And I was like, that sounds a lot more fun. And it wasn't – it was the same stuff. It was just – wait a minute, I like baseball more. Like, that's weird. Like, I'm 18. I, wait, I'm playing baseball. I should know that, right? And it was just like, oh, Bucks, football, that's the thing. I like football. And then I heard about baseball. I was like, that sounds like more fun. And so I sort of asked around. It turned out some guy at my church knew Kevin Malone, who used to be the GM of the Dodgers back in the Kevin Brown, Darren oh, yeah, Dreyfer right. days. Yeah. And uh, so when I went to college over in Orlando at UCF, which is like two hours away, this guy told me, Kevin's coming in town to do, like, a speaking engagement in Tampa. Drive back to Tampa. I'll tell him about you before he gets here. Shake his hand, say hello, and then he'll be, like, your reference for everything. And that's all you have to do. And I was like, are you sure? That sounds okay. He's like, no, this guy trusts me, and I trust you. And so if he just sees that you're not, like, a crazy person, he'll he'll put in a word for you. And uh, so then I got, after I figured out from him, oh, the guy that, the, the job to get if you want to stay in Tampa, you know, with your parents over the summers for college is the Yankees have their baseball operations there. It's not all in New York. It's basically all in Tampa that doesn't have to be in New York. And he's like, I know the guy that runs it. I'll put in a word for you. And within, like, 18 months of me bugging that guy's secretary, uh, he let me go in for an interview. And on that interview, the uh, the soon-to-be boss was like, all right, we can have you come in for a couple hours, a couple days a week. And then so the next day I came in. And I was there from, like, 9 a.m. to, like, 7 p.m. He was like, I think we have more work for you than we thought. Like, they had no no structure for an internship. It was just, we'll just give you whatever we have. We didn't think we had that much. And then they realized, oh, if we have someone here helping us, we can think of a lot of stuff for you to do. <laughs> and so that was the end of my freshman year. I came in every day that I wasn't at school, my end of my sophomore, junior, and senior years, and then stayed sort of through the winter meetings my senior year, uh, so basically working in every department as, like, the only intern in the office in Tampa, which is right right before basically every team formalized their internship program. So I kind of was right at the point where I could kind of luck into something like that. Good. Well, so, yeah, and, and as you say, it is a little bit more formal now, it seems. Well, the funny thing was my boss with the Yankees is now the uh, assistant GM, Billy Epler, just got the uh, – was one of the two two or three or whatever finalists for the Padres job. Uh, he asked me after my first year when he was going to go from Tampa to New York uh, what – you know, what, what do you think we should do with the intern program? Like, I'm going to be up there. You're going to work for somebody else down here. Uh, what do you think I should do? And I was like, well, either you should have, like, one intern every year or two, and it should be a guy you want to hire full-time and have it be, like, a limited program, or just bring in, like, ten people for free labor every year and get a bunch of free labor. And I was like, I don't see why you'd do anything other than one of those two things. And then I heard next year he had, I think it was, like, seven interns in New York. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then, of course, down the line, I ended up meeting some of the guys that were one of those. Yeah, I was one of eight guys doing whatever in New York. It was really cool. 
But we all knew we had no shot at getting a job because there were like eight of us. Like, how was that going to happen? And I was like, I feel kind of responsible. Right. But it, but it seemed like all of them were like, well, yeah, but we got to work for the Yankees for summer. Like, would you would you rather like slightly increase your odds and or not get to work for them? I was like, no, that's true. Like, it worked. I I knew I wasn't getting a full time job at the end of my internship. That was understood when I was there for a couple different reasons. But I still, you know, would have done it anyway. And then and then how did that turn into uh, and then how did that turn into more of the scouting side of things? Uh, so I kind of gravitated to the player development, uh, like even because I didn't really play uh, beyond high school. I, I could have maybe played small college, but I realized kind of that, that part was drying up. Well, Florida, if I, if I can interject, I mean, Florida is a pretty competitive area for baseball. I mean, right, because it's like one of the three big states out of which young amateur talent is, is produced. Yeah, not, and actually the high schools I was in, well, the high school I was in, uh, in our district, we played against Andrew McCutcheon, knocked us out in the regional final, hit two grand slams one year, and without uh, without men on base is how good he was. <laughs> yeah, that's the crazy part. Yeah, yeah, because uh, it was the year I was a senior. Yeah, I was a senior, and all of our best players were sophomores, and so of course they made they made it that far the next two years after I left. Uh, but I believe he was a year behind me, maybe two years behind me. And we just knew, like, oh, he was from Fort Meade in the middle of nowhere, and it's basically their whole football team just plays baseball and didn't really know what they were doing. And so they just, like, came out there, and then this guy was, like, the best mix of all who was hitting home runs, and we're like, that guy's pretty good. I think he's going to be good. <laughs> uh, yeah, he turned out to be good. He turned out to be the National League MVP. And I think when I was a freshman on uh, JV, uh, I would go to the varsity games afterwards, and Lastings Millage was on one of the other teams. Those were, like, the two big the two big first-round picks out of Christian schools in my general area mm-hmm. uh, when I was there. And then in, in Summer Legion Ball, uh, we would play the public schools, and Elijah Dukes almost hit me in the head with a fastball because <laughs> oh, he was pitching, he was and it was it was terrifying. Did he, he didn't necessarily have great command? No, he did not. And it was at his school. Here's the funny part. So he went to Hillsboro, and we were told, oh, this guy's going to come into pitch. And then we saw Elijah Dukes walk out there like, yeah, he's like a fullback linebacker that's going NC State. He kind of dabbles in baseball, and he doesn't really know how to pitch. And we're like, ooh, how do we get out of here? <laughs> like, we're like, he's going to hit everybody. We're going to get crushed. Like, this is not going to go well. Uh, and, he, and I assume he threw hard, too. Yeah. Uh, we. I mean, we didn't have a gun on him, but it was... It was the hardest guy we had seen that summer, so it was at least in the high 80s. Now, this must be a thing that, that happens. I mean, my, I also played baseball through high school, and my team, my league was also not – well, my league, my, my team certainly was not you know, necessarily blessed with uh, future major league talent. Um, but even then, it, it was always the case, and it seems to be a thing that happens, that the guy well, – because, right, like a lot of first – a lot of guys who were picked in the first round – uh, that are position players were shortstops, unless they're, they're left-handed throwers, were shortstops at some point. And so it's not surprising to you say, talk about Elijah Dukes, who, who actually, he had the, I mean, obviously the, you know, there were quite, he, he had some demons, I think you could say. But at the same time, like, his, his physical tools, and even like his baseball skills, I think were pretty decent, at, you know, by the time he became a major leaguer. Um, but he was probably, I mean, I, I would, it wouldn't be surprised to hear that he was like the pitcher, the shortstop, the everything for the team because, because the guys who are going to be future major leaguers when they're playing, even when they're, when they're amateurs, they're the best probably. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he was playing in the outfield. Uh, but yeah, especially like summer legion ball where like you don't have necessarily all your players. And I think he had, uh, you know, some sort of football commitments coming up. So he was kind of coming and going. 
mm-hmm. uh, then, yeah, then it's, you know, well, if this guy's our best player, let him do whatever he feels like doing, that sort of thing. And that's, and, and to a degree, that, I mean, I was talking to some scouts about this when, uh, actually we were talking about like how I was bringing some guys on board to fan graphs to, uh, to write about games. And one of them was like, well, you know, how can you, like, how are you going to trust these guys that, you know, aren't as experienced to write stuff that's going to kind of reflect on you? And I was going to tell them how I was going to do it and some of the, like, controls I was going to put in place and how I was going to proofread everything and all that. Uh, but he was like, you know, when it comes down to it, like, when I was in my, like, second year of bird dogging, like, you know, just kind of seeing games from my first or second year, he's like, you don't have to tell someone that that's the best, like, Buxton is the best player on the field. Like, you just, if you just casually pay attention to, like, BP and you don't know who any of the players are, and then you see him run around the bases once and play center field and throw well, and eventually if you're not taking notes, you're going to be like, wait, that's been the same guy every time, the guy with the good swing that, like, runs well. Like, he seems like he could play another sport. I bet he's pretty good. And that isn't always correct, but especially when you can have a version of, like, performance into it. I still remember a game when I saw Cameron Maben play. When I was with the Yankees, he played a game against Jabba Chamberlain in, in, uh, in the minors. Mm-hmm. And so we all went over to go watch Jabba Chamberlain pitch, and we all knew who Maben was. And I was sort of like, ah, oh, well, you know, I had stuff to do the other nights this week. I'm not going to get to see Maben again. And in that game, I believe he hit two home runs, threw two guys out at third base, uh, had a close play at first on an infield single, uh and I think he, like, scored up a double into the gap. Like, he literally showed all five tools without having to watch infield or BP or anything. And everyone was like, well, I guess you don't see him again, Kylie. Like, you pretty much saw everything you need to see there. Like, he showed you everything he's got a couple times. Right. Well, like, yeah, because you're like, this guy – because there are certain things, like, if if he did it, right, like, if, if he's in, whatever, center field, deep center field or deep right field, and he throws someone out of third, that's a thing that he did. And that's not a thing that other people could do, even if you gave them a, a, an infinity number of chances, just because they lack the, the sort of physical capacity for it. And a pro scout could easily watch for five games and never see any of that. It could just be like a handful of ground outs and walks and never get a chance to throw a guy out. And that's that's happened to me before when I go watch a guy for four or five games. And like, man, I'd, and I'll go through my notes. It'll be like, yeah, I went like 0 for 3 with some ground outs, had a pop out here, had like a line drive single there. And I was like, I got to judge all this off of one swing from a line drive single. But, you know, I wasn't watching that swing thinking that's going to be the only good swing I'm going to get for five games. Right, right, right. So now the point of that all that was to say that you were not – you didn't make it as a player. I asked you how you got into scouting. Yeah, so that's uh, kind of toward at the end of my first summer. Uh, uh, Billy was like, "So what have you not, you know, learned or done or been able to pitch in here that you want to be able to do?" And I was like, "Well, I know I'm not like you know typical, but I, I feel like I have a pretty decent feel for you know spreadsheets, and numbers, and administrative stuff, and all the stuff they were having me do." And I was like, "I don't really know how to scout, and I'm reading all these scouting reports, and I'd read Baseball America for years. I'm like, I'd like to be able to write that on my own." And he was like, okay. And so he like opens up the, the scouting system, prints out a blank report and goes, here, go watch the GCL game outside and tell me what you see. And like I had a vague sense of the 2080 scale and I kind of knew this was the year that the Yankees had drafted like CJ Henry and, uh, Austin Jackson and Tabata was in his first GCL year out there. And I kind of, and they had Ivan Nova was in the pitching staff. Like, it was a pretty good team. And the Braves were over at the time, and Elvis Andrews was on that team. So there's, like, a lot of talent on the field for a GCL game. Oh, yeah, yeah. And everyone had mentioned these names at one point or another. I knew the shortstop on the Braves was supposed to be good, and I'd kind of watched them. But I didn't really know what I was doing. And and it was like, I know, like, like when we would sign guys out of the draft, it would be, here's the contract. 
uh, staple the scouting reports on the back and then go bring it to so-and-so uh, to sign it. And so whenever I would drive over to the other office to get them to sign it, I would read all the reports. And so I kind of knew what it was supposed to look like, but it was, you know, like all, all the terms with like swing mechanics. Not only did I not 100% know what all of them meant or what they were indicating, but when you first start watching games in that way, like you can't notice stuff out of a full speed swing right away. Like it took me years to be able to pick out mechanical stuff without seeing batting practice and a guy swing in game. Mm-hmm. Uh, without having to take video and slow it down and look at it. Because then eventually... enough looks at it, right? I mean, you need to... Yeah. yeah, and even a lot of guys, the BP swing looks nothing like the game swing, so sometimes that doesn't even tell you anything. But you, know, you basically get to a point where you know what every part of a good swing looks like, and then once they swing and you're like, something didn't seem right, and you kind of play it back in your head, and you're like, oh, collapse his back foot. And sometimes you immediately see it and just say, collapse his back foot, especially if you're sort of primed to notice it. Uh, but other times you're like... That didn't seem right, and you kind of play it through in your head, like, right, which part of it didn't look right. Okay, yeah, he collapsed his backside, uh, all of his weight was on his front foot, his back foot came off the ground, which sometimes when it goes in full speed, which is, that's actually one of the things Buxton did in high school and is slowly getting out of, uh, that's something you're like, something didn't look right, and sometimes you look at the camera to get it immediately, and sometimes you're like, wait, he was out on his front, okay, so he was doing this, alright, now I know next time to look for his weight transfer, if his, you know, back foot seems to have any weight on it. And if so, uh, then that, you know, may be like an inconsistent thing. And then if he starts, you know, whiffing at a bunch of curveballs because he's down on his front foot, that could be another way to sort of prove that, you know, he's doing that or maybe he can't recognize a curveball and that's just what happens as a result. Like, then you start sort of diagnosing things. And usually you can notice that in the first game or two of a five-game look at a minor league player. By game three or four, you've figured out what his problem is and you're just trying to see, is it fixable? Does this... He seemed coachable, all that sort of stuff. So yeah. I think I, I think I strayed from the question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but no, no, but that's that's good. I mean, it, it, we're sort of a weaving in and out, and that's fine. The um, so you were so well, you were talking about your sort of first your first attempts. Did how uh, how solid were those were those first scouting reports that you provided? Well, the problem was, and this is something you can see with a lot of guys that are just starting out, is I knew Austin Jackson had just gotten like a million and change, and I knew he was good. And I know if you're good, you don't have a lot of below average tools. So I could watch stuff, not know how to grade raw power, not really be good with the stopwatch to really get reliable times, but know like, okay, that's probably like, that looks like a guy on TV. That's probably like 50 or 55 power, right? And then like, this guy's hitting 320. I saw him square up a bunch of balls. That's like a 55 bat, which is not really the way you're supposed to do it. It's sort of a scouting by numbers, mm-hmm. uh, which again, this is something when you're starting out, it's very easy to fall into because you're not quite sure what you're looking at. But if you have the guy just got a million dollars a week ago or is hitting 320, like that's, you're a lot more confident in that objective number than you are, uh, what, you know, this is what I saw and I saw that for one game, but that's enough because that thing, you know, you can repeat that. Like I didn't have any of that. Right, right, right. So in general, they were in the right direction, but, uh, I would guess almost every tool I had was off by like one notch because I didn't really have a lot to go off of. Cause like you have to like have a library and this was like, I was walking into the library for the first time. Like what are books? Like of course I didn't have a library. And so, and so you moved from, so you've done some stuff with the, let's see, with uh, the Yankees. I think, yep. I think maybe you worked for the Pirates. I have, yes. And maybe other places. Also <laughs> the Orioles, yeah. Also the Orioles, yeah. And yeah. and so, I mean, what was what was sort of going through those? Uh, I guess on the one hand, what, what were your responsibilities? But I'm even sort of more interested in, uh, to to the extent that you could talk about it, what you what you learned and 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 
Uh, I mean, that's a bit, that's probably a big question, but sort of what what were your main uh, what were your main takeaways from those experiences? Uh, I got the Orioles job. That was the next one with the team. I had started writing for Baseball Prospectus, and I had a friend that I met when I was with the Yankees that lived in the Dominican and kind of like worked with an agent. And he was like, the agent said, you know, he'd love for you to come see the players. And at this point, this is like three or four years later, so I have some idea what I'm looking at. I'd kind of been writing on my own website some. I had sort of a non-baseball job, just kind of kicking around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was like, yeah, if you come down here, you can stay with us, and we'll drive you around to go see all the best players if you can get down here. And I was like, okay. And so I went down there. This is the year Gary Sanchez, Miguel Sano, uh, all those guys, that July 2 year. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I'd never been to the Dominican before. I went once when I was in, like, middle school with my church, but it was, you know, not, like, baseball Dominican. It was, like, sort of resort Dominican, go to the poor places, play a baseball game for an hour, and then leave kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, give them shoes and bats and all that sort of deal. Right. Um, go away feeling happy about yourself. Yeah, which <laughs> probably not the podcast to discuss the pros and cons of that. But, <laughs> right. I mean, maybe it is, but probably not. Right. Uh so I went down there and, like, got to meet Sano's trainer who also trained uh, Robbie Cano and uh, and had – who was it that he had this year? I believe he had Dermis Garcia, one of the top guys this year. They got three million. He's, like, sort of renowned as a sort of a eye for talent down there. And and then, like, show up to one of these big showcases. Uh, or at some point around this when Noel Arboyas, the Cuban guy that signed with the uh, Royals and ended up flaming out, he signed for, like, $8 million. And one of the guys I knew – kind of like knew the agent and was like, yeah, if you, they'll be happy to have you down here to see this workout and be able to write about it because there's not going to be any like media. And so I go down there and it was like 150 scouts because there's nothing going on. I think it was in like early February when there weren't any really games going on. And it was Arguez and then like a handful of July 2 guys all at the workout. So like every international scout's down there and all of a sudden I'm bringing to the guys from the Yankees they used to work for and they're like, what in the world are you doing down here? <laughs> and I was like, I'm not really sure what I'm doing down here. Uh, anyway, so I wrote up all that stuff, and um, Baseball America kind of was writing about it, but at that point, it was sort of like the week of July 2, we'll write an article each day, but it wasn't really around-the-clock kind of stuff because nobody really knew to care about it. And uh, that was the year Jorge Aaron Gurray started doing it for ESPN trying when all the Sano stuff was happening. Oh, right, right, right. And I was sort of reporting stuff as early as, like, January, uh, and like reporting names and rumors and I won't say what, but I reported a rumor in baseball prospectus with a team basically hiding a player from other teams and the GM tried to get me fired <laughs> from my job. From baseball, prospectus. baseball prospectus. <laughs> yeah, it did not go well. Uh, but it worked out. I, I, I mean, was, it sounds stressful that. Yeah, I was confident enough, uh, in what I wrote because like 10 scouts had told me that. And then Kevin Goldstein was my boss at the time, and he called around and was like, yeah, I called five people. All of a sudden, what Kylie said is true. This guy's just, you know, either covering it up or is upset about it or whatever. Um, and and so I kind of did that whole deal. And once that finished, the Orioles were like, hey, we are looking for, a, you know, an American guy that can kind of do some international stuff and has some feel for the market, but also can, can do, like, some research and office stuff and can scout a little bit. And you seem like... You know, you're, you, you are uniquely making yourself a fit for that job. And I was like, yeah, it sure seems like that. I didn't realize that job would exist. Uh, so I went to go work for them, but unfortunately once I got there, uh, the international department got like overhauled, like a different set of people got in charge after I got there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so what was a fit suddenly became not so much of a fit. And so I got kind of moved into the player development area. 
which was great. Uh, I got to, I ended up with player development going to the Dominican a bunch of times that year. And then, uh, and then doing, you know, helping out with the draft. I helped with instructs. That was the year we drafted Manny Machado and, uh, got to help and get to know a lot of the players and sort of get some hands on experience that I hadn't really gotten before with the Yankees. Uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't one of sort of those long-term fits. And so from there, I got hooked up with the Pirates, uh, who said they needed a guy to help bridge the gap between the scouts and the statistical stuff. Um, so I worked with, uh, legendary stat guy Dan Fox. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And the idea was they had already built their proprietary system to house all their stats and scouting reports and all that sort of thing. But they wanted like the second tier of like, not applications, but like ways to sort of bring the two together, you know, uh, and sort of explain stuff for the office, but then also make things easier for the scouts. And we needed somebody that could sort of understand both worlds, which at the time I didn't realize that's what they wanted. And so I'm like, oh, there's no shot they're going to hire me for this. Like I'm, I don't, couldn't tell you anything about SQL, which they were saying is part of the job. And I was like, well, yeah, there's no shot I'm going to get this. Uh, and then they're like, no, you didn't, you didn't get the pitch. Like we were looking for a guy exactly like you. Like you, you were the guy. I was like, Okay, <laughs> so I came in and learned SQL and uh, did all that stuff and got to be involved. And uh, you know SQL? Uh, kind of, yeah. Enough, to, enough to to fake I'm, it. I'm dangerous, yeah. If you give me something, I could probably break it. That's that's about how dangerous I am. Yeah, that's SQL. I don't know the SQL. It's like a, it's a, there. That's actually a, like within FanGraphs. You know, there are a bunch of different, I guess division, not divisions really, but there's there are guys who there are guys who know SQL. And guys who don't know SQL, and it's uh, it's it took, uh, it's like it a big me, gangland fight, you know? It's, yeah, yeah. It took me about six months to like get the concepts. Like, like you could tell me do this, and I would do it, and be like, okay, I got my answer, good. And I don't want to think about how we got there because I don't get it. Right. And then after about six months, I was like, oh, I get it now. Uh, but yeah. So without getting into too many details, the Pittsburgh thing actually similarly didn't work out like the Orioles thing, where it was. You're going to come here and do this, and then we're going to move you over to this area. And then something happened with the guy that was in charge of that second area, and he wasn't as in charge anymore. And the new guy didn't know about sort of our arrangement. And it was like, all right, so you can keep being an office guy, which is I had learned by this point I didn't want to be the 9-to-5 office guy that, Mm -hmm. like, I needed to have. And and not on field, but, like, scouting or player development or go to games or something. Like, I just would go, like, cabin fever crazy if I was in the office uh, every day with nothing else to do. And I was like, well, it's unfortunate that things didn't work out here, uh, but this is not, like, this is now not the place that I need to be. And then that's when I hooked down with ESPN, working with Keith Law, because he said, well, if you want to get out and see games and let people have, you know, be able to see some idea of what you're doing, you come right for me. I'm, at the time he was based in Arizona, I would be based in Tampa. You can go see all the guys in the Southeast. You'll get to see, you know, all these, like, high-level scouts at all these high-level games. You get to write them up on ESPN.com. And uh, and then you'll have a year of people being able to get to know your games, all that sort of thing, and not be sort of trapped in a front office, which is one of the, the downfalls of being in a front office is everyone in that office knows you, but if things go a little sideways, people sort of get let go or you don't get to be in the spot you need to be in, then you don't really know anybody else. Right. Uh, right. You, you get to know people in other teams when you're sort of at the director level and you're kind of like doing trade talks and we release this guy and is this guy, you know, call, is this guy a good guy? Yeah, okay, we're going to sign him. Like talking to agents, all that sort of thing. I wasn't at that level, so I didn't. I knew the people that I'd worked for for three teams now, which is more than a lot of people at my age. And a lot of them had moved on to be agents, other teams, things like that. Uh, but then getting to ESPN, that's in, that then got me on the trajectory I'm on now, which was, 
internet baseball guy, which is not actually what I wanted to do, uh, but ended up that the the industry wasn't always eager to sort of give me the thing that I wanted, which maybe I didn't deserve it at the time or, you know, for whatever reason. And then the, in, the internet seemed to be much more quick to sort of give me what I was looking for, which was sort of a, a way to sustain myself while also being, you know, going to baseball games and writing about it. And so now I'm sort of in a posture for, you know, if a team wants to offer me something, that's great. We can talk about it. Uh, but it's gone from I'll take whatever you have <laughs> to this needs to be a good fit. And the Internet, uh, like I've been saying, has been sort of good letting me sort of uh, do this. You did that well. Okay, now you can do this a little more important thing. And then this a little bit more important thing. And along the way, being a guy out in the public uh, area that's also covering July 2, the draft, the big leagues, minor leagues, all that sort of thing, you keep picking up contacts, which is what a lot of my friends with teams like – uh, like I've uh, more than a few friends that like went to an Ivy League school, got an internship their first year out of school, got a full time job, same age as me. I've been doing it for seven years. You know, maybe up for uh, a promotion, may not. Sort of the politics are getting into it now, and they're like, I don't really know anyone outside of my job. I only know how to do my job. I don't have a lot of skills, and like I was basically forced to go learn how to do Dominican stuff and learn enough Spanish to get by in a foreign country, and then I was forced to learn how to go do my own website, and then I was, like, forced to learn how to do SQL, and, like, I've, I've basically worked in every department in a baseball ops uh, area, and then also done a version of it on the internet, and then met, you know, a half dozen, dozen, maybe more people in that area that work uh, in that area for teams, and then now, as I mentioned in my intro to Fangraphs, like, I feel like this is, like, the culmination of all this experience, because uh, I noticed that some of my strengths wouldn't necessarily come through working for a team, but they would on the internet, which is not what I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I sort of stumbled into if I could like make an internet job that like suited what I had done and what I want to do and my personality and things like that, it would basically be this job. So, so with regard to that, and I know that you have uh, you have an appointment at six, which is thirteen minutes from now. So, um, we, it, it, but you've actually sort of provided the segue anyway. To, to um, what the, the sort of work that's going to appear at the site, and and I guess, um, you know, Fangraphs, we've we have written about prospects before, um, and I don't think that it's your intention necessarily to to uh, destroy everything that's come before, but you obviously have developed uh, some ideas about what's important to you um, in terms of how to talk about prospects. Uh, and so, and you, you've, you introduced this to some degree in your, um, in your introduction. But I'm curious just, uh, um, how, how do you think what, you're, what it is that you're excited about that, that perhaps, um, will divert from other things that are available? Uh, oh, and one other thing I wanted to add. Uh, I felt like, well, for time's sake, I glossed over a lot of the, uh, got rejected from this job, things didn't work out. There's an, Picture, if you look at my Instagram that I posted, uh, I think like a year ago, it was a picture of all of the rejection letters I had for front offices from one season, which I believe I had 24 of the letters from the 24 teams sitting there. <laughs> there is, uh, I was telling somebody yesterday, I was saying if I got a job my second year out of school, I don't think I would appreciate it as much. I don't think I would have necessarily worked as hard. Like I feel like a lot of my I don't want to say hustle because that makes me sound like I'm a rapper, but for lack of a better term, that uh, kind of came from like the seven-year odyssey of 
I, I, I just want to do this. Why can't I do this? Why, why do things keep not working out? Now I got to go to the internet. I don't want to go to the internet right. and, and sort of being held against it. And the funny thing is some people have told me like, you don't seem to want to, uh, like you're not a reporter. You're not always trying to get a scoop. Like you're not, uh, like when you don't see a guy, you don't just call me and like, maybe like, tell me what happened, what happened to that game. Tell me about this guy. Like I, it makes me cringe when people tell me stories of people at other outlets calling them and being like, "Hey, uh, so tell me about every guy in your area." Go, and uh, I'd like to think that's uh, that's been a positive that like I un- unwillingly was dragged into the internet, <laughs> and that seems to have worked in my favor in in, in a weird way. Um, anyway, so to your question. Yeah. Uh, so I explained in the introduction one of the things that bugs me with me being as guilty as anyone on the internet is there's a lot of uh, scout lingo that we take for granted and that people that want to get a job with teams think is necessary to put in their stuff, which is fine. Uh, but the average reader or the non-hardcore reader doesn't understand what it means. And even a lot of the hardcore readers know the term and know sort of what it intimates, but don't actually know what it means. I'm thinking specifically about like hitting mechanics and stuff. And, uh, and then the second part was a lot of guys now, I think more than before, are going to games like I was back in the day. I was sort of novel when I did it like eight years ago, but that was more because the Internet was still getting mature. Um, but go to a game, see a guy that just went in the first round in like this, you know, the summer after he signed. And be like, oh, this guy went 12th overall because he's supposed to be great and this guy sucks. And the funny thing is what the guy that he saw does suck. But it's because he's a high school kid that, uh, you know, is tired and all that sort of stuff. And so the two things that I noticed was lots of lingo and impenetrable, like, uh, uh, abbreviations of stuff. And then also, like, writer that is technically doing the right thing, going to a game, learning how to scout, taking video, writing what he saw, sticking with his guns, all that sort of thing, mm-hmm. doesn't have the context to, uh, to succeed. And oftentimes when he writes that this guy sucks report, feels like he has to go on a thousand words longer than he needs to to explain, like, no, this guy actually does suck. I know he went 12th overall, but let me explain to you in detail what this means. And another guy on the team looks exactly like him that went in the, you know, 15th round. Like, it just, you fall into a lot of problems. I actually have a report, I'm not sure if it's you can still find on the internet, of Jeremy Halkson when he was in the Florida State League. And I think I wrote 2,000 words about one six-inning outing. And the funny thing is, like, the scouting grades are probably still correct for what he is today. Like, I think it was correct as a report. And the stuff that I noticed was all stuff that happened that night. But the problem is if I would have seen the start before that and the start after that, it's all 18 innings, I probably would have written 800 words. But because I only saw one start and there's, like, an inferiority complex, like, there's stuff I don't know about this guy, so i got to tell you everything I saw. But if I saw three starts, I could, like, disregard some things because it only happened in one of the starts and, like, try to tell you, like, you smooth it out and tell you the stuff that was consistent, tell you if he got better, that sort of thing. So I'm thinking these, uh, in general, college or just out-of-college kids that are, you know, sort of learning scouting. Uh, I guess or technically we're all learning scouting, but sort of learning it, how do I... How do I allow them to contribute, bring something to the table without them falling into these traps and sort of reflecting poorly on me sort of cultivating this stuff? Um, so with these reports, which I think will be like well over half of what these guys write, uh, I'll put the industry consensus tool grades at the top. So they're still going to be doing writing an article, grading the tools based on what they saw, but for instance, you go see uh, Foster Griffin went in the first round. You go see him, he didn't throw a good changeup. Changeup's actually been his best pitch for the last two years. Uh, and maybe you shouldn't have feel for it. Maybe he's working on something else, especially early in a pro career that's common. 
so I'll put at the top, it's a 55 changeup. He threw one and it was a 40, and that's correct. That is what you saw. Don't stray away from it. But this is what actually is sort of happening. Um, so, so, so there's a the, the more the more information is in this case is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, it gives context. And a lot of times the writer may not know enough scouts to be able to get that context. They just know he went this high. Baseball America said he's whatever. And I was like, no, I'll write what you're going to write. Don't worry about trying to explain why your conclusions are correct and why he doesn't look like the 28th overall pick or whatever he was. Don't worry about writing he was from this high school and all that because you didn't see him then. I did see him then, and I know scouts, and I was following the whole time, so I'd probably be better at writing the background anyway. Uh, not to say that they can't, but it's, it streamlines it. And so if I'm going to be proofreading all this stuff just to make sure, like, you know, the lingo makes sense and uh, trying to limit all of the sort of problem areas I mentioned before, then I'll put the industry consensus grades, I'll put the background at the top of the thing, write the, you know, in italics or block quotes or whatever, this is from Kylie, this is to give you context for what you're seeing and what this guy's going to write. Then he's in a position where he's just going to write, say, 500 words of a normal report roughly at the length of, you know, maybe presented in different ways, but basically the information you would get in a pro report and, like I said, in a position to succeed where he's not going to go on forever, he's not going to have to speculate about what the other outings were like or how he went this high or if he's been hurt uh, or what he was like the week before or why he didn't throw a change up. Like, all that stuff gets eliminated, which I think is, like, 90% of the problem with, uh, with people doing that on the Internet. So I'd like to think that uh, the... The metaphor I used in the introduction was the reader is the GM, I'm the pro scouting director, and these guys are the pro scouts. Their report needs to get to the GM. It would be stupid of me to try to see every player in the minor leagues. It's impossible. But there needs to be some sort of mechanism for me to feel confident to hand that report to the GM and be like, this is good. I put a sticky note on it so that you know that this thing that he saw may not reflect what the player is right now. Here's my sort of you know, tweak or update or whatever on what he saw. And then all of a sudden, everybody, you know, did a good job and can stand behind it and is able to make a good decision. And there's not any misunderstanding, which I feel like seems simple, but is a little harder to do. And I'm not sure anyone's uh, sort of accomplished that yet. So I'd, I'd like to think it's novel, but also sort of simple. Now, let me ask you a selfish question, which is, uh, you, now you have a list coming out soon. Tomorrow, yes. Uh, depending on how long it is, it might be later tomorrow. But, <laughs> but right. yes, I'm writing it right now. And... Uh, I think that I think at some level I'm going to be contributing to this. Is that right? To some degree. Uh, I mean, if you write something, yeah, you'll be contributing. <laughs> well, what do I, don't I know. do? Are you, are you contributing? Yeah, sure. What do I do? Uh, well, so uh, I guess this will be uh, a preview of what's to come. Uh, I'm guessing the podcast will probably be up earlier than this tomorrow. Uh, so I'm going to start at the bottom of the standings. So that's Texas's first, and I'm going to do a prospect list. Uh, so I also think it's crazy that, uh, and nothing against these sites, but I think it's crazy that you would do a top 10 or a top 20 or a top 30 for every team when some teams only warrant 18 prospects and some warrant 35. Why wouldn't you just do as many as the scouting information warrants? Uh, and that's what I did at my job at scout.com last year, but... I was so thorough, I wasn't able to finish all the teams. <laughs> so so one of my goals this year was finish them as early as possible, and if part of the report writing process for these other writers is I put the report, I was like, why don't I just do it immediately? Because the, if they write about you know the third lowest team uh, in the standings that I'll be doing third, then maybe if they write about them a month in, I'll have that team done already, and then that'll be way less work for everyone. Like, you know, the editor can just copy and paste my report from... Uh, this from the uh, from the top prospect list, and I've actually 
never done all 30 teams in one offseason before. I've always been doing mostly like draft stuff or targeted things, or I just saw a guy in double A for the, you know, the Dodgers. I never did all the prospect stuff as far as the whole organization. So I was like, for my own edification, I need to sort of get up to speed on all these teams. Uh, so I'm doing Texas. Uh, right now I'm looking at the spreadsheet. I literally have exactly 50 names on the list. Oh, uh, I'm probably going to post, uh, about 30 names, might be 28, might be 32, something like that. And then probably do some version of like, for instance, the, the Rangers have a lot of, uh, like power arms that don't really have a lot of secondary stuff, but people kind of bring them up and there's like six of them that probably aren't going to make the list. So I might do like, uh, you know, one of the development guys told me these are the three best prospects in the DSL. Here's six hard-throwing guys that might get traded that have some value. But my cutoff for the list is basically guys that have some legitimate trade value. Like, not necessarily the first guy in a deal, but you could get an actual big league player in return for this guy. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, sort of an amorphous concept. But I think these guys that are like 92-94 with a fringy slider in A, I don't think you can get somebody for them, but... That's the kind of guy that gets traded when you need somebody to name when you're doing sort of like a nothing salary dump. So I was like, scouts are bringing him up. They're saying maybe he'd be in my top 30. I'm going to do about 30. So I'm probably going to end up listing it maybe as many as 40 names, but I'm going to write as much about them. This is the other thing that kills me. Uh, when you read these lists at other places, it's like, oh, we're doing a top 10, and everyone has the same length of a report when the first one is Mike Trout and the 10th one is, eh, this guy, like, wouldn't be in a top 150. Like, why should you write the same about both of them? Like, let that be dictated by how good they are. So, like, Joey Gallo, probably going to be number one on this list. I'll write, like, two paragraphs about him. And I'll tell you, like, here's his projected triple slash line. Here's his risk thing, uh, which I made, like, a little a little risk uh, sort of scale. I'll grade all five tools. I technically split power into gain power and raw power. So I'll do six tools. Uh, those tools, here's the big, a big reveal. Those tools will show up on his player page just ind- independently. So it'll be like height, weight, hit grade, power grade on his player page. Provided um, Appleman gets the coding done. Jeez, Appleman. Yeah, it may not be ready tomorrow when the list goes up, but by the, I've been told by the time the second list goes up, it will be operational. And I have a little, a little deal where I can go back in there and put it in the back end. And presumably that can be available once we have, you know, enough teams as sort of a research tool where you can have, you know, Joey Gallo's uh, stat line for the last three years and here's his tools. And then three years from now, obviously we'd have the tools for the last three years and we'll be sort of updating them throughout the year. So if I go see Joey Gallo in the middle of next year and his tools are for some reason different, then I'll just go in there and change them. But here's a link to the report for the updated tools and then have the update tool show up on the player page. Well, that's that was that was another thing that killed me is it's now become standard to put tool grades at least on like the top hundred type prospects, but nobody seems to be really standing behind the tool grades. It seems to be like a one off, like they're not warehoused anywhere, they're not put with any conviction. Nobody does a future present. Well, not many people do future present grades for all five tools. Sometimes mm-hmm. you'll see them for some of them, but not all of them. And I was like, people complain that you can't do much with minor league stats or with amateur stats because you don't have tools to put those into context. Like, we have them. You can search around and sort of aggregate them all. Uh, but instead of aggregating them, I'm just going to, you know, talking to my sources and using my eyeballs and all that, I'll just do them myself. And those are the ones I would trust the most anyway. Uh, now, going to Carson's thing, uh, I'm going to have... I'm Carson. Uh, you can say you can say my name. You can say you. You just say the second person singular, yeah. Could you could you have used another uh, Destiny's Child song lyric 
to <laughs> voice your expert. Please say you can bootylicious. No, don't. Yeah. Well, no. So I'm so, going to. So how long catch- will my thing be? I don't know. I'm going to write okay, about. So, so here's what I want to do. So I'm thinking, okay, we're doing a, bl- a list. It's going to be like 30 guys. It's going to, you know, be pretty, not final. I'm going to do updates after the fall league because there's going to be a guy or two that pops up for every team. Is Alexander Claudio on the list? He actually may creep on, but I think... He made his uh, major league debut last night. I know. He's technically eligible, though. I'm doing rookie eligibility rules. Uh, it looks like these scouts I'm talking to prefer the plus fastball might have a breaking ball guy to him. Yeah, well, I think that makes sense because he doesn't yeah. have... Uh, so the a, fact that the fact a, that there's like 40 guys that uh, probably fit that bill or, or better, he'll probably get squeezed off, but... But okay, so uh, so the point was, I was gonna have Dave Cameron do like a hundred words, uh, like here's where the organization is, like these players are for trading, these players need to be the core of the team. Is the GM have job security? How have they done collecting assets? That sort of thing, like just an overview to give the casual fans some context, and also you know put a much more recognizable name on this thing because right? <laughs> who wants a you know yeah. guy with a girl's name writing about <laughs> prospects? Yeah, right. No joke. <laughs> no, no kidding. Um, so I was thinking you could come in and you seem to be the go-to guy on the internet for the fringe prospect uh, type mm-hmm. and also for the, the the gif, enjoyable, fun part of things. I'm in the middle of writing something very dry and to the point, and I'd like to lighten it up, but I also don't want to make every scouting report two sentences longer thinking of specific jokes for each guy. Like, that doesn't seem really up, my, up the alley of this article. However, I think... I'd like to have the people who can contribute something to a list like this be involved, and luckily you can contribute these sorts of things. So uh, I was saying there may be a guy, like, in the middle of the list, like you mentioned one guy that I think I have at, like, 18 right now, that you weren't sure if he was, like, a like a top 30 guy or a fringe guy. Mm-hmm. If you have some specific thoughts on him or, you know, a gif or even a joke or whatever or a link to something, toss that on there. And then when there is that fringe guy that I mentioned 40 names and he's, like, 44 or even lower than that, uh, you can have a little little space to be like, here's uh, Claudio, probably not going to be on there. He's in the big leagues. I saw you posted, a, I was going to say, I know there's a gift because I saw it this morning, uh, of his changeup, and, you know, maybe a couple sentences on here's a guy. And we also talked about the the Matt Carpenter types, for lack of a better word. Yeah, sure. uh, yeah. the, the fringy performer, underestimated by scouts, but could, you know, is in the upper levels, could conceivably contribute, and who knows if we write up 20 of these guys, one of them's going to be a stud like Matt Carpenter. Uh, kind of mentioned some of those guys. And I've got a group of them for the Rangers that may work their way in, but they're notorious for having guys that throw hard and look good in uniform and hit the ball a mile and swing and miss, so they're not really the kind of team that's going to have a lot of those. Uh, but, yeah, so if there's if there's guys in your sort of fringe uh, joy department uh, that warrant additional information, you are free to uh, use this list to uh, push your agenda as such. Okay. Do you, do you need a, do you need a specific number of words, or should I just? Uh... No, you can write nothing if you want to. Huh. Well, that's I think the, the I, I think the readers would prefer it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kylie McDaniel. Oh, right, you, I'm you, such a rascal. You have a VIP meeting, I think, to get to. The funny thing is, the scout said he would call me at six, and he actually called me right when we started. So I think he's probably angry with me now. Oh my. Yeah, we'll see what he says. But yeah, do you have that. anything else? We can go a couple minutes. But, I mean, he's already going to be late anyway. Uh, I no, I don't know. I have to. I got to go to the da- to a farm to get some dairy. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm telling you. You know, they say the, they say the essence of comedy is being specific, and yeah. that was like the most general thing you could say. 
No, but I do have to go. I go to a farm. Uh, my wife and I live in New Hampshire now, so we're trying to figure out this uh, country living, you know. And, the magazine, uh, of course, yeah. Yeah, you're right. And uh, I don't know. I, I like the. I love the idea of going to an actual farm and getting my dairy there. You're going to run into a lot of hipsters if you're anywhere near Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, but we're not near Brooklyn. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, no, no. We're in New Hampshire. I don't know what where things are. I'm not a Northeasterner. Oh, man. You really don't know the difference? That's funny. It's, it's one of the news. For all I know, that's a two-hour drive, and that's there's like a, a hipster yeah. bus that goes there to get you know artisanal pickles. No, I'm in the Lakes region of New Hampshire. Okay, well, I'm going to be in New York in a few weeks, so it's maybe you should come down and meet all the hipsters with me. What are you? What are you? Are you going to games there? No, I got a wedding. I mean, I'm not getting married, but I'm going to. I'm going to be the hit of a wedding. It's been the request. Yeah. Okay. The uh, yeah, I like. I like. I've been to that Brooklyn Cyclones uh, down there. That's enough. I'm probably not going to go. I got a lot of you know party things. I've already no scheduled... no no. Of course, of course. Yeah yeah. I've already scheduled a couple of dinners at Top Chef restaurants. So it's... oh oh. Yeah, I'm going to be that ugly American that is like feed me impressive things now. <laughs> yeah, but if you do get a chance, I would say I've never been to the Staten Island. Uh, I've never seen the Staten Island team play. Although I understand that that is also that also has certain pleasures. I think it's a fantastic view of Manhattan you get from there. But the Brooklyn Cyclones games. Are fun. There are a lot of people. I mean, I don't know how long this is going to last, but there you go. There are a certain number of elderly people who grew up as Dodgers fans and are sort of participating in Brooklyn baseball for the first time in a long time. You know, and they they play the games at Ebbets Field. They uh, no, <laughs> come on, it's not even <laughs> funny because I didn't know what you were saying. It I didn't know what you're saying. I speak quickly. Yes, I've yeah. heard that. Uh, hey, this has been that's been great though. Um, yeah, when do you want the content by? What do you want tonight, tomorrow morning? That that sounded like something a dad would say when you when you give him like a tie for Father's Day. Oh, this, this has been this has been great. This yeah, well, I'm been, just trying. Pretty to good holiday. Well, I don't know what to yeah. say to you, but but what what do you what, what do you what do you want this content by? Uh, well, I'm gonna try to write up all the stuff tonight and then post it at some point tomorrow, and I'll probably have to write some tomorrow morning to finish it. So, I mean, you, you have until probably tomorrow morning. Okay. Well, I'll do something, and then maybe you'll probably be like, oh, this is ridiculous, because you do this and this and this. And then, yeah. So I'll try to finish by tonight that, and then I'll get you something else in the morning, probably. Alright, yeah. I'll, I'll send you something before I go to bed, is my point. Excellent. Uh, although, try to steer clear of the dairy sweats and the dairy naps and things. I hear they do things to you. What, you, what is that? What's a dairy sweat? What's a dairy sweat? You know, you know the meat sweats when you eat too much meat and you feel like you're sweating out the meat. Oh yeah, but I don't. I honestly. Uh, I feel like dairy is like similarly heavy. I feel maybe. like it's like drinking fettuccine. I don't. I don't eat that much meat. My wife. My wife is vegetarian. But fettuccine Alfredo, not not the actual pasta. But I, you know what I mean. Yeah. I. I. My wife's a vegetarian, so we don't eat that a lot. A lot of meat. I love meat, but I don't. I just don't eat it in great quantity. Where does the vegetarian dairy thing? Where does that come down? Well, that would be if you were vegan, you wouldn't have dairy. Oh, I didn't know a vegetarian extended to that. I know a vegan did, but I yeah, didn't. vegan. No, vegetarian doesn't. No, she can have she can have dairy. She, you know, that's fine. She, Do they have some, they have like something like pescatarian with dairy? Or it's like yeah, pescatarian is common, right? There, a lot of people when they say they're vegetarians, they, I mean, a number of them are, I guess, pescatarian. I don't know. I you listen. Or they're just being obnoxious. That's yeah, also sure. True. These are all personal choices, and you can be angry about any of them. Personally, I don't care if people will say they want to. As long as it's not, I mean, luckily I don't cook a lot because I'm terrible at it. But if people say, "Oh, I prefer this to say this," that's fine with me. Whatever, whatever you want to do. Hey, live your life. Live your life. <laughs> as Rihanna said, I think it's a, a prescient way to end things here. I think yeah. you can see the future. Oh yeah, wait, and I have to tell you, I did not mention. Maybe I'll put this line at the beginning. 
That that song you make maybe put at the beginning is silly. It's silly, Kyle. Oh yes, it's fantastic. I thought of that a couple weeks ago. Yeah, oh, it's ridiculous. Are we gonna open with that? Can we open with that? Yeah, but I'm gonna include a disclaimer. I think I have included a disclaimer. <laughs> I would I, I would come on and say this is Carson Stooley, featured to Kyle I just want everyone to know that the introduction you're about to hear to this <laughs> is silly in my opinion. <laughs> but Kylie's new, and I'm trying to make him feel comfortable. But it is silly objectively. I think if this doesn't offend you, I think I might just email you. This will be the intro music. It'll just be like you know, ten, fifteen seconds each week, just to set the mood for what we're going to get into. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know if that's adding extra work for you, but from my experience, it's just a you know, cut and paste deal. Yeah, it's not too bad. Not too bad. All right. Well, then I'll I'll shop around. Maybe we'll use that that Rihanna song. You gotta live your life, right? Yeah, you gotta live your life. No one else is going to. All right, get off my phone, Kylie. No, I want to make you think you'd hung up on me because that would have been a weird ending. Okay, yeah, that's that's good. I think, I think we're good. This has been good. This has been good. It's been a good introduction. We'll get into some. What are we gonna get into some guys next week? Oh yeah, we're gonna. We're, there's gonna be guys. All right, I'm excited to hear about them. All right, I'm excited to hear the outcry of uh, this was not a good podcast. You guys need to fix this. Oh yeah, that will happen. Yeah, well, we can do. Yeah. All right. Hey, we'll stick around for one second. In the meantime. Thank you, Kylan McDaniel, the new uh, prospect, the new lead what lead prospect writer, Fangraphs.com. Call, call me whatever you want. I'm, I think I'm the prospect czar. Let's go. I like the Russian title. Yeah, that's fine. Prospect czar of uh, Fangraphs.com. That's a uh, thank you to Kylan McDaniel. That is that has been Kylan McDaniel. I'm Carson Stooley, and this has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.